you know, that employment stress can erode the traditional head of household role, contribute to the likelihood of severity of domestic violence. This is Brian Lynch, and welcome to my podcast series, Rain Insights on Security with Brian Lynch. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Chris Silva, who is the Behavioral Intervention Team Manager at UCLA University, one of Southern California's five largest employers with over 42,000 employees, contributing over $12.7 billion in economic activity. Chris holds the Certified Threat Manager Certification from the Association of Threat Assessment Professionals. And Chris is a retired Army officer with multiple combat deployments, most recently in Afghanistan, where he served as the lead advisor of an Afghan National Army Tank Battalion. Chris holds a bachelor's degree from Central Washington University in criminal justice, as well as an MBA from the University of Laverne. So Chris, welcome to the podcast and thank you for your service. Thank you so much, Bran. Good to be here. Well, today we're going to talk about the threat assessment team and managing insider threats, a topic that many companies, unfortunately, have dealt with and will be dealing with in the future, particularly impacted by the events over the course of the past year, year and a half or so. And today, specifically, we'll be speaking with Chris about managing behaviors of employees, focusing on the impact these behaviors are having on businesses and the socialization of coming back to work. Chris, let's start with how you would characterize the stressors in today's workplace environment. You know, it's important to keep in mind that uh, any and all conditions that uh, that existed prior to the pandemic, which have gone unaddressed during this time, you know, have the potential to have become worse. And we can use a couple of examples like substance abuse and or domestic violence both of which are key components of, of workplace violence. And, you know, even when uh, treatment was sought beforehand, uh, likely saw those sessions done at the very best via video chat and at worst uh, not done at all. I've heard of reports of, of both of those situations. And when it comes to, substance abuse in particular here in California, um, you know, in a bid to keep restaurant workers employed, a noble gesture, I might add, you know, they've, they've loosened up alcohol pickup and deliveries from restaurants. And similarly, I see uh, marijuana delivery service billboards and both those things have unintended consequences where, you know, um, in, in the uh, fight for, financial upkeep and benefit, you know, we've, we've made these things available, but uh, the unintended consequences, of course, were making uh, those abuse substances easier to obtain for those that have shut in. But when it comes to hard drugs, like methamphetamine, cocaine, heroin, et cetera, et cetera, um, they, they've also suffered a paradigm shift under the, uh, under the, the current uh, COVID-19 uh pandemic, um, you know, in shut in, um, a lot of customers have had to 
rely on dealers they didn't know and therefore getting those drugs uh, in unknown strength and or quantity. And uh, what hospitals are seeing there is a, a huge increase in overdose cases. Substance abuse is a pretty dark realm in this scenario. And again, if we go to domestic or relationship violence, you know, and we can agree that uh, traditionally that has uh, been carried out by a male partner on a female partner uh, the majority of times, but of course, not always. Um, And those behaviors can be exacerbated by unemployment, underemployment, and other distressors that that we're going to be discussing. You know, that that employment uh, stress can erode the traditional head of household role, contribute to the likelihood of severity um, of domestic violence. When we look at added stressors, you know, the differences in workplace uh, and university experience uh, from scheduling all the way to the lack of face-to-face human interaction, that that uh, challenge is immeasurable. Um, you know, you just need to turn on the uh, television to realize that civil unrest has become more intense uh, over the last year. Uh, and uh, I'll go as far as saying an acceptable way of, of communicating is one point, one's point. Um, and I think that uh, one thing that we would have found hard to believe was uh, traditional bedrocks of society are being challenged. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, who would have thought that, uh, you know, a, um, a movement would have uh, gone so far as to uh, uh, do as much as, as change police reform. And, uh, you know, um, the downside is many of these uh, folks with less pragmatic and less realistic issues can feel their concerns are equally as powered as empowered as those. And uh, they get a glimmer of hope from those. Chris, that's a great overview. So what I'm hearing is some of the stressors for employees really haven't changed during the the, uh, dynamic of the the pandemic and the way in which companies have have decided to have their workforce work from home or uh, in some other fashion, whether it's uh, hybrid or uh, like in production facilities where they have to go to work and wear masks, et cetera, uh, substance abuse, domestic violence, and then you noted civil unrest. And and I think, you know, a, an important point that you made was the challenge or or the norms of society are being challenged in, in some fashion, particularly around policing and other uh, areas that we see related to civil unrest. So So let me ask you this. The stressors that were prevalent prior to the pandemic, some have only intensified, if you will, going forward into the pandemic. And then we also have some stressors that have really hit people hard related directly to the pandemic. Can can you differentiate that for our listeners? You know, what should we be looking for when when some of our employees come back? Uh, from either work from home or or being hired in other companies, et cetera? Great question. Um, You know, uh, things to, to look for, um, you know, it's, it's important to realize that, you know, employees will be physically returning to a workplace where 
both they and the employer have had uh, placed a greater reliance on automation, technology, and far less dependence on face-to-face meetings and, and travel as well. Um, you know, in my own office, uh, we've got a new, well, I won't say new, we've got an individual who was hired uh, over a year ago, um, has been an integral part of the team, uh, and, and proven himself time and time again. And I've never met the man because he was hired just after, you know, the work from home, uh, order. And, um, so it, it, that's an interesting dynamic that we've never had to face before. Um, you know, differences in, uh, points of view surrounding current topics and, and volatile topics like vaccination, personal protective equipment and social distancing. These are going to be things that we see out in public that are going to be very, very uh, uh, emotionally charged when we return to work. Um, there's going to be new policies and new procedures that have been put in place that people are, you know, unfamiliar with, or, or at least the changes. Um, employees uh, returning to work are going to, have dispositions that vary widely from wary and prudent all the way to excitable and intense. And, uh, and I, as an employer, we need to be able to uh, identify those and, and work with those because uh, they're all very relevant. Um, So I've got something of a technique that um, I'm going to propose, and that's sort of a, consideration of a a loosened response towards policy enforcement. And I'd say that that especially comes uh, to fruition when it comes to corporate rules on policies like time and attendance and uh, employee and customer relations. You know, a relaxed view puts the employee's best interest at heart with a few things to keep in mind. I think that, you know, that, that relaxed point of view needs to have a a time cap put on it, you know, sort of a gradual phase out after 30, 60 or, or 90 days. Um, And that posture needs to be communicated as the corporate point of view throughout the workforce uh, in order to alleviate any confusion. But on the, on the flip side, certain policies can't be looked at leniently. And in my paradigm, those, uh, those include workplace violence prevention policy and weapon restriction policies, and those both need to remain at uh, zero tolerance. Yeah, Chris, all great points. And I, and I know you've talked about how important reintegration and resocialization would be for our our employers to be uh, to recognize that that process is going to be ongoing as people come back into the office setting, and um, you know, as we all know. Stressors affect people in different ways, and we we have you know certainly highlighted some of the stressors that we've been dealing with uh, over the past year and a half. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the reintegration and the resocialization uh, processes? Absolutely. You know, um, I don't think that any of us could have ever imagined that uh, we would have uh, become our own desktop support personnel uh, having worked from home. And, and I mentioned technology challenges uh, previously, but, you know, uh, 
folks, you know, Wi-Fi from their home and other problems that are traditionally handled by, um, you know, on-site IT professionals uh, now become something of the realm of the user. Kind of more to your point, some of our coworkers are not going to be returning to the office and that's due to downsizing. Perhaps they'll take on a hybrid or a work from home scenario that uh, was not in place previously. Resocialization is something that we need to um, we need to look at um, because a lot of people have been isolated uh, both socially and in their employment, um, and so that face to face interaction is going to take a little bit of uh, a renewal effort. I think that it would be naive to expect people come back and it's just exactly where we left off. I think that social efforts on the part of the employer, whether it's, uh, you know, and these can vary by the, uh, by the workplace's culture, you know, whether it's uh, lunch out or, or ice cream or happy hour or whatever, uh, th- those kind of things are going to be a little more important uh, having to bring back folks who haven't seen each other for such a long length of time. The other uh, reacclimating, very similar. Uh, I think that understanding what one has not necessarily been exposed to in their aligned departments or colleagues' work area that that they used to have a, a lot of visibility on uh, is going to be something of a challenge for that person. And and so I think that this learning curve needs to be understood by the employer, by the employee, by supervisors, et cetera, et cetera, so that, um, you know, we can uh, have a solid return to work that is um, appreciated and uh, goes a long way towards uh, business goals. Something else uh, when it becomes time to return to work that uh, is a big issue, especially here in LA, traffic and commuting. We haven't had to deal with that for a long time. And in the few times that I have been out on the freeway, it's it's wide open and something of a dream issue. And so uh, that's going to become a reality again. One thing that, that people have grown used to is probably that work-life balance that may now be in jeopardy. They've had a lot less time on the road, a lot less time commuting, actually sitting at home, uh, have the kids nearby. Being able to get up and get some dinner on the stove and everybody eat together because, you know, maybe there were restaurant shutdowns or, or what have you in that area, that the family values uh, are going to again be put to the test. That goes doubly for anybody that's a single parent. And people are naturally going to have a level of anxiety surrounding returning to work. And it's uh, important to understand that is going to be the case. Great point there. What you're talking about and what I'm hearing is the ability to reconnect uh, is going to be critically important to the uh, employees, to the workplace, to the business. And, uh, you know, things are different than they were pre-pandemic. You look at some of the literature that's out there relative to what happened in the last year and a half, and, and some have opined that we went through a second industrial revolution. We, we, we figured out that, uh, well, first of all, the employers have figured out that they can get their, their work done with uh, their employees who don't come to the office every day. 
And, and I think more importantly, the employees have figured out that they can do their job without going to the office every day. So you look at all the differences and, and all the changes and, and sometimes change is a stressor too. Right. And, uh, and, and so, so it's very, very interesting uh, the points you make there. And, and, and it's just not going to be like it was in December, 2019 when they come back. Right. Yeah. You, you said it, Brent. When we hire an employee, the firm is linked together with that employee forever, whether we like it or not for the good and for the bad. Uh, for example, if, if we have a, uh, an issue with performance or behavior and we terminate that employee, it doesn't stop at the termination. Uh, and, you know, I think firms have, have understood that and have adapted some of their processes for, uh, you know, terminating or, or removal from service, some call it. Um, and so the, the next part of this is, is really about what, what can the firm do? H- having said all of this, making all your points about what the stressors are, what, have, what has changed, how people and employees react differently to all these stressors. Nonetheless, employees have to, ma- have to manage this and execute in this environment. So, so what does that look like, Chris? Yesterday, you made a, a point that, uh, that I wanted to reuse, and I definitely give you credit. That was the metaphor of the steam pipe. You, you, you can snap that valve wide open instantly, but I think that in this case, the metaphorical combination is to, to, to slowly open that valve. And, and people can be looked at similarly, that uh, reintegration is a process. It's not a race. And so, so that measured approach is, is critical here. But, you know, more to your point, uh, as far as termination, employee actions, negative uh, actions and um, things of that nature, I think that it's going to be critical having not had our eyes on our coworkers for, again, you know, over a year in many cases, to take a deep dive into what has happened with them over that period of time. And that's going to be challenging. But coworkers are often a great source of information, you know, to find out if the individual in question, the subject, if you will, was somebody in their household uh, unemployed or, or underemployed, up to and including the, the uh, individual in question, him or herself. And we can't assume that they didn't suffer any catastrophes uh, at home during the pandemic. I, I am blessed enough to have not lost anybody to COVID-19, but we can't assume that of everyone else. And, and that would be a, a huge traumatic stressor for a family. Likewise, you know, was the employee, him or her, sick or, or anybody else in their family unit uh, suffering any ongoing health issues that uh, were never, you know, expected prior to this uh, pandemic? And, you know, if there are no uh, work-friend relationships or, or anything of that nature that allows that insight, then it's going to be uh, rely on things like social media uh, investigating and uh, taking a look at, uh, you know, 
troubled coworkers' uh, social media posts? Did they put anything up concerning over the past 12 months? And, you know, it's fair game. I mean, these are public uh, source information and uh, people put that out there for others to look at. And uh, there's no expectation of privacy uh, when those kinds of things are put out on the public domain. So I can't overemphasize the importance of understanding um, how folks have dealt with the life situations in such a peculiar time in history, how they dealt with that and, and how they've come out of it. Yeah, Chris, I think that's a great point. And, and you used a term before that, that I really like, which is duty to care. And uh, you know, it's all, I think it's all wrapped in, uh, our employees uh, are our employees. Uh, we 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 did the best we can and could over the past year, year and a half. We've we've had Zoom meetings and we've we've uh, met with folks and and now as things are coming back into the office setting, we really need to be aware of. And I like your point of it's almost like taking an inventory of your employees about how they're doing, right? And, and it's that duty to care and, and it's really assessing where they are and, and maybe what, what do they need from us outside of just performing at, at the workplace. Uh, and, and I've always found, Chris, that when the firm cares about their employees, that message is uh, received loud and clear, and it means a lot to employees, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think that an investment in an employee is not only ethically correct, but it, it, there's a business case that, uh, you know, retention of employees is uh, a fraction of the cost of bringing on somebody new when you take into consideration payroll and, you know, training time and, and, and things of that nature. So uh, I think it's, it's money well spent. And, and what we're really getting to is if you're really engaged with the employee and you take that inventory and you care about them, then they are less likely to become problems at the workplace. And that's the key that we're trying to pick up on, right? Are those what I call breadcrumbs, but those behaviors or those comments th- that will cause somebody a little bit of pause. And, uh, and it's really important, uh, I think, for companies to understand that they they really need to be in tune to their employees as they come back, like they have uh, over the past year and a half and before that. But it's it's really critically important to do it now because, Chris, you and I talked about yesterday the the number of active shooter incidents that have occurred in the U.S. in 2020 was more than we saw in 2019, and you would think, well, how could that be? You know, we we don't have folks working in offices, but we still, as you outlined before, there are stressors and added stressors that we had from the pandemic that added to some of this concern. And we didn't even talk about the ability of one or two parent households to deal with schooling and homeschooling and the stressor involved in that. So uh, can you comment a little bit about that as well, Chris? Yeah, of course. Uh, we've we've been able to uh, spend time with the the kids, whether it was uh, by uh, choice or or otherwise, and that was uh, you know for the most part uh, looked on positively. And 
even if it did have a bit of a distraction uh, element to it when it came to work, you know, I think most employers from what I gather understood that the, the kids were trying to engage in school from home. And that took a bit of effort to supervise and uh, overwatch uh, from, from the parent who may have also been working from home. And, and, and there's a bit of a trade-off there. But again, that, that time at home can be a positive. But on the flip side, you know, we're not accustomed to, in most cases, uh, supervising children who would normally be at school. And so you can't dismiss the stress that's uh, involved with that. Most of us are not trained educators and therefore picking up where the, the teacher or teacher's normal role falls into place. That's not what many of us have been trained to do. So there's definitely a uh, bit of a challenge to that. The stress of, you know, having to balance that with one's own profession, if, if they were working from home, is always an issue that goes along with, uh, if, you know, if you've got more than one child at home, uh, I think you, it compounds it even more. Any of us that have, that have raised kids realize that uh, they'd, they'd rather be horsing around and playing, especially if there's more than one kid involved, and uh, rather than uh, paying attention to, to schoolwork. And that poses that challenge to mom or dad who, uh, you know, are also trying to get work done from home. So I think that there's those challenges and, and others that uh, might be hard to conceive of that need to be taken into account because uh, this is a, again, a time in history that we've never really had to deal with before. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're coming to the uh, end of our, of our discussion today, but there's two points that I want to raise before we sign off. The first one, Chris, providing our listeners, our, our companies that are listening, some of the key elements that firms should focus on, relative to the design of their threat assessment teams. And then, the, and then the second point is maybe just a quick summary of key actions that companies should consider relative to trying to get things back to normal post-pandemic. Great. Um, I think that when it comes to threat assessment teams, Brian, paying particular attention to the uh, mental health component that you uh, have on board that threat assessment team, whether it's in-house or whether it's contracted or something like that. I think that this is the time to really pay close attention to that because of course you're going to have your security law enforcement uh, component already there. HR needs to really be given a strong voice in this uh, day and age in threat assessment, you know, general management, of course, but you know, if you've got insurance and risk management and and others that provide key inputs, uh, I, I would say that it's time to schedule a bit of an overview Again, with your EAP, your uh, psychological care component, and and make sure that they are able to articulate what the what they perceive as as challenges to the workplace. Um, and then, as far as uh, uh, summary, you know, I think that it's time to discuss how returning to work is likely to impact that uh, workplace specifically. What issues are unique to the industry and that location? And finally, uh, determine what steps uh, part of management the team agrees on to, to make 
reintegration a more smooth and, and welcoming process. Yeah, all great points, Chris. I really appreciate the uh, summary and, and providing this to our listeners. And uh, it's been great having you today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. It's been a, a real pleasure uh, speaking with you and I appreciate uh, the opportunity. If you liked what you heard today and would like to learn how RAIN helps members monitor relevant risk developments and more efficiently respond to and mitigate key threats, visit us at RAINnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. <laughs>